0: Hey there, AJ Cordero here, a co-host on the Hockey Flow. I've been podcasting since 2007, and I've seen many changes over the years. But the best one has been the introduction of Anchor. And here's why. It's because it's easy and it's free. Seriously, I've spent so much time, money, and effort to get something at this level back in the day. Now, with a push of a few buttons, all that time, money, and energy are spent producing the show rather than distributing it. Now, you might not think you need a podcast, and hey, maybe you don't. don't think of a podcast just as a way to get your news, sports, and entertainment fixes. It can be a way to tell your family's stories, shine a light on your hobbies and communities, go in-depth for a love of your team, or discuss how to change the world. The possibilities are limitless. Anchor provides creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. They also distribute your podcast so you can be heard on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and every player that supports an RSS feed. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum requirement on the size of your audience. Don't waste a second. Download the free Anchor app on your smartphone today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it. Seriously. The world is waiting to hear your story. This is The Hockey Flow. It's a great show that brings you the best on the ice, and I'm, of course, privileged to have Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico joining me for the ride. So let's get right into it. First of all, you need to know where they can be found. So Adam can be found at ReallyAdamB, that's ReallyAdamB on Twitter. And, of course, Marco D'Amico can be found online at ScribbingsAndStats.com and, of course, at The Hockey Expert. And most importantly, our special guest today, we have him joining uh, right now on our Zoom call. We have Frank Pavan. You can find all of his great work on Twitter, Frank underscore Pavan. That's spelled P. E-A-V-A-N. And you can check out all of his great work over there. Uh, Frank, you have a brand new role over at, uh, uh, can we actually say where you work? I think it's public, but I, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it.
1: Sure. Sure, no problem. Yeah, I don't mind. Well, thanks for the intro. First off, nice to to be on a call with you guys and talking sports again. Much, uh, uh, it's been a long wait, uh, a long time in between. But uh, yeah, my new role, essentially, I discussed with AJ off call a couple of days ago, is basically I've been hired by Mojo, the uh, the YouTube brand, um, for uh, to to kind of kickstart and and uh, start their podcasting network. So we'll be having a, a bunch of different shows on this network. One being sports, one being. Uh, about music uh, esports and gaming and uh slowly but surely i'm uh, i'm being tasked with growing that network uh to to kind of uh for the, for the audience, essentially. So that's what I'm excited uh, to bring to the table s- soon. Yeah, so sure. we're
0: going to watch with uh, bated breath and probably send a CV or two into Frank's direction if you're interested. Probably he could always look at great interns that could go and join him. But uh, I've been learning great things because uh, we were exchanging before about podcasting stuff and you were pointing me out to some new platforms and stuff, which is awesome because uh, we always want good competition in this space. But enough with this. Let's get to the space that really matters to us, which is the rink. And of course, we're going to be talking about the plans that were revealed by the NHL last night. Uh, what they're thinking about how the reduced schedule could go. So Adam, I'm going to throw this over to you. Uh, Where do you want to start off with this? Um, well, I
2: think we touched, uh, touched on it a bit last week where they, they would basically run the season in those hub, like not bubbles, but they would basically, uh, I think they stayed at 10 to 12 days in the same location where they would play each other and then they would be able to travel and quarantine and whatsoever. um, that's pretty much the, the reading I did so far. Uh, I know it it's pretty recent. It's from last night. So I don't know what Marco or even Frank, what you guys have uh, on, on the topic.
3: I don't think anybody has anything on the topic. It's not yet finalized. Um, they're still up in, in, in discussions right now. The NHLPA and the NHL have a lot to discuss because their planned CBA that they agreed to in the summer was contingent on there being an 82 game season in 2020, 2021. So when they negotiated the rollbacks on salary uh, in, in, in the form of escrow um, we're expecting a 26% to potentially even 30% uh, escrow, which is usually at 7%. Uh, So imagine your employer withholding 30% of your earnings uh, because you, you know, it ended up that they're not going to play as many games as you thought, or that uh, you're going to have issues even trying to get paid because there's no no income coming in from the gates. So that was an 82-game situation. Now if we're talking about potentially 60 or 48-game situations, well then, the escrow is going to increase, and the players are like, well, whoa, 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 we've already reached our agreement, we've already come to a point where... I thought, you know, whatever happens, this is the escrow that would be given. And the NHL's like, I don't think we want to assume all those costs. So they're at the negotiating table right now to try and find a way where the players aren't as heavily impacted because these are their prime earning years uh, as hockey players. Uh, and the owners aren't, uh, you know, pushed to sell the team because... Uh, they had to pay their players as mandated by the league, so it, it's a it's a complicated scenario, but uh, exacerbated, of course, because of COVID.
1: One one thing that's interesting um, from the article I read is that, uh, well, first off, I'm happy to to see that all parties are taking their time with this. Obviously, this has kind of become this can be quickly become a mess of a situation if uh, if done uh, not so properly. But now that right when when COVID first struck. Um, and, and it kind of took over the entire world. Hockey and, of course, basketball were the two sports to kind of restart uh, first before any other sport did, right? Uh, baseball was dealing with their issues. Football only started a bit later. And so at the beginning of all this, uh, it was hockey who was trying to... to Make a makeshift decision on what to do, but now what I'm what I'm learning is that Gary Bettman is kind of learning from other commissioners and what they're doing while they're actually going through their own seasons too. So he's kind of on the fly learning as well, which you know that could only go so far. They have to make a decision with uh, the Players Association in the NHL as well. But what I from what I've got is that they're going to be realigning a bit of the divisions as well, yeah, will not they? So
3: there's there's a few things to take into consideration. Get in a division.
0: Sorry, I'm very, very, very excited about He's this. If i
3: going to stay, or are you going to edit that out?
0: Oh, no, I'm going to keep that That's in. Fantastic. I
3: just wanted to make sure that was staying. <laughs> for everybody listening, that was AJ. That was fantastic. Um, yeah. In terms of...
0: Uh, I'm sorry, have have you guys not done that thing in your playgrounds, in your classrooms no, for no. years where you were like, if only we could.
3: No, we're debating. finally getting no, this. We're debating this. All I'm saying <laughs> is your excitement is everyone. It's just great that we were able to get that soundbite. Um... So yeah, I'm I'm actually quite down for a Canadian division because A, people will stop calling Toronto Canada's team. Uh there's also um there's also the planned uh you know kind of semi-bubble where they can kind of all coalesce into one into one area and just play each other for a weekend, which could be interesting. Um also I think what needs to be taken into consideration, and a lot of people haven't really grasped that yet, is what are we going to do? when a bubble-style tournament is no longer viable. You can't play a bubble-style tournament on an 82-game schedule, a 60-game schedule, or a 48-game schedule. Um, If you want to take a look at what other hockey-centric organizations are doing, uh, certain divisions of the NCAA are starting back up in two days, or today, if you're listening to this live. Uh, So November 13th, uh, we're getting the Big Ten returning in the NCAA. And they're doing so in a bubble format. Uh, one of those teams is Cole Caulfield's Wisconsin Badgers. Um, you look in Europe, they're just playing with nobody in the stands, but they're traveling to each individual cities in the SHL, in, in Liga. Um, I won't mention the KHL because they don't believe in COVID. Um, so there's there's a bunch of examples out there, but I think the tribulation is that none of those leagues play outside of a country where they, they combine two countries uh, of course, the KHL is the other one, but again, they don't count. So it, it, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, we've had this discussion last week when Adam and I were talking about junior teams, because if you look at uh, Quebec, is the Quebec Major Junior doesn't have any American teams anymore. The Lewiston Maniacs are gone. But the OHL has teams in the, in, in the U.S., the Saginaw Spirit, for example, uh, that come to mind. And then the WHL has a ton. They even have an American division. Uh, so... You know, you look at teams like Spokane, uh, Tri-City, et cetera, uh, even the Seattle Thunderbirds, like what are we going to do with them when these things start up? So I feel like everyone's asking the same questions right now and everyone's trying to find solutions. And the one that works, I feel like, will be adopted going forward. But It is just going to be difficult. But does that make me hype for a Canadian division? Absolutely. I mean, um, another thing to to take into consideration is how would that affect the schedule? Like, uh, we were talking about this with Adam last week. Like, how would you feel about, you know, there's seven total teams in the Canadian division, so you're playing six other teams, I don't know, five times, 30 games in a bubble, and then hopefully by then, by the, the end of all these games, these 30 games, COVID restrictions will be relaxed and they could travel across the border and play the remaining 18 to 30 games Against clubs that weren't in the Canadian division to even stuff up? Like, these are all th- things that they're discussing. So it's pretty intense, um, you know, notwithstanding the fiscal aspect, just the logistics. But how hype would you be, Adam, for a Canadian division?
2: It would be pretty amazing. I mean, we, we could finally see which team come, comes up on top. Is
3: Canada's team?
2: Yeah. Well, even that would be with an asterisk, right? Like, asterix,
3: sorry, what asterisk. what asterix I mean,
2: yeah, but still, no. It would be a pretty crazy division to watch. Um, but yeah, then again, I, I think the whole the not debate, but the whole situation comes back to more of a logistics standpoint, and w- what's it going to be like in January when are the restrictions sh- restrictions going to fall or not? Is it going to stay the same? So. I want to hear what Frank has to say on the, on
1: the topic. On, on what they'll move to when it comes to playing with teams in the United States, as opposed to Canada. What do
2: you think about the whole, because we're going to talk about it uh, a bit later about the QMJHL, just making a bubble for Quebec teams, right?
1: Um, I wish I had the answers to these questions. It's such, just like, like Marco said, it's just a huge, a, a huge situation. And it's a huge topic. Um, You know, Gary Bettman has already come out and said that they really don't want to put players through a bubble again, right? If they were to do that, then, hey, fantastic. All teams can play against each other. You could could sort out a schedule maybe uh, a little easier that way. But, you know, he's been adamant about not wanting to go that route again. And that he would never ask players to return to the bubble. It really goes. I think what Marco said. Uh, it, you know, you hope down the road uh, in in the moderately near future that the um, the the border regulations have, have you know lessened, and you know you're 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 more flexible in terms of that. But until you see any type of results from a from a public health standpoint, too, I don't know how much they can possibly do with traveling teams from across the border, than having to go through quarantine stages, and it's just not. And one thing that's working against them, too, is I'm thinking of of other leagues, right? Granted, the major thing is that they've got massive teams in both countries. So they have to fly uh, across two countries as opposed to other North American sports uh, leagues. But also they play games in such a short amount of time, right? They could have three games a week. uh, two three four games a week as opposed to american football where it's like once a week so even if players get um a covid flag right they've kind of got time and several days to test before suiting up for a game as opposed to hockey like if someone for example or numerous people players and staff test positive they're going to be out for a considerable amount of time and miss a good chunk of games for their team too so I, I don't I don't know how to answer the international play yet, like uh, moving across Canada and, and United States. But I guess if the hub, not the hub, well, yeah, the hub—that's uh, the term they're using—if the hubs and geographic centric format of realignment works, hopefully down the road they can they can see what the public health has to has to say with traveling across country.
3: Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be interesting. I don't think that there's a sustainable model where a bubble could work long. I feel like mm. it's tournament based. The reason why it worked in the NBA and the NHL is because they were in a playoff situation and it's bubbles are perfect for eliminating style games. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's not yeah. ideal. However, when you're trying to play those, those regular season games to qualify for said playoffs. So again, logistics, uh, this is where the NHL players association gets involved. Um, For example, the NBA thinking that they're going to start up, um, you know, December 22nd. Good luck. Good luck. But that is the absolute worst time to start a season because the holidays are coming up. And let me tell you, no one, and I repeat, no one is going to, what's the term, uh, precautionarily uh, isolate themselves during the holiday season. Uh, and I say Christmas, but American Thanksgiving is a month before, you know. So, like, you're already going to have American Thanksgiving where things seemingly go back to normal, even though the United States is right now the epicenter of the virus. And then you get into the to to Christmas, New Year's. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that many any and many NBA teams are forced to postpone games in January. That's, that's my feeling. It's sure you can start it off as soon as you want, but if you know, if, especially if you want to play in front of fans too, like that—that's still up in the air. So,
1: and another thing working against them uh, in terms of playing with with fans in the audience is that um, you know there's no outdoor arenas. <laughs> what one thing that's playing to the NFL's advantage is that yeah, they they don't have their stadiums aren't domes, uh, so they can you know precaution take as much precaution as possible, of course, but they can have a couple thousand fans in it because it's an outdoor. Uh, air quotations environment right with with a lot more space being in an arena uh granted we don't know how many people they'd even realistically fit inside of arena but being in an arena is a closed environment that plays against them as well
3: definitely see a model where a a gradual return to audience i guess would be the thing so like they'd let in maybe 20 percent um i know they did that with the impact uh, montreal impact game here where they let in i believe uh 500 fans which i believe is like five percent just to say it's it's not ideal um and this is why they pay these lawyers the big bucks uh is to go ahead and find the experts that are going to properly educate them on the best practices available or known uh and if not kind of innovate in potential ways that they can host these things without it hitting their financials too hard because let's face it if there are significant losses in the same way that there were at the end of 2019-2020, uh, I foresee a few owners trying to sell their teams in the NHL. One of them being the Carolina Hurricanes. As, we've, as we know, that team could potentially go back to the Carmanos family uh, if Tom Dundon doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't feel it is as uh, profitable as he originally thought. Almost like COVID and offer sheets weren't uh, favorable to him.
0: So I think we've run the well dry here on most of this. So this makes sense. uh, Let's jump to something completely different now. Let's look at the Q. The QMJHL is looking to bubble at Videotron Center in Quebec City. Um, So this was reported a few days ago. Um, Marco, I'm going to ask you to start us off on this. What are you thinking?
3: Uh, So it's specifically the red zone. And for those that, that don't understand what we're talking about, I'll elaborate in a sec, but it's all the red zone teams in the QMJHL, so blainville uh, bobriant uh, the Victor, uh Victoriaville, uh, Quebec City itself, uh, Drummondville, and I can go on. Uh, these teams haven't played in about a month, uh, I'd say. And so uh, the teams that have continued to play are the teams in the Maritimes. Uh, so the Eagles, not the Screaming Eagles, but the Eagles, uh, the Islanders, the Mooseheads, uh, the Titan, and uh, the St John Sea Dogs have played against each other, and now they've recently started uh, along teams in kind of the northern periphery like Valdor uh, and um uh, the Roy Noranda huskies to play against each other so that's left a big hole for uh you know the more metropolitan. Centered teams along the uh, St. Lawrence River. And so they are all sent to play in a bubble system, I believe, next week. Am I wrong on this? Um,
0: it starts on uh, November 17th. So, go. yeah, next week. Yeah, next week.
3: So, next week. Uh, and so, from what I was able to read, uh, this is kind of like a recoup game where they're going to be playing a tournament style round robin to essentially allow these kids to accumulate games played and points. Uh, I like the idea that you would have kind of like segmented bubble uh, events where you can play 10 games, go back home, isolate again, train, play, you know, try doing that again with another set of teams, play 10 games, come back home. That might be the solution for now if they want to maintain play and also allow for contact in sports. Because I would rather the the former, which is a bubble situation every month uh, than a regular season of 48 games uh, and and no hitting, like the OHL is is potentially planning on doing. Uh, So it's intriguing. And I like that it's going to be at the biggest amphitheater they have, which is Place Ville d'Ausson, which is great. Um, You know, they have a comparable size to the Bell Centre to a degree. Uh, So the way that it's set up uh, is ideal if you want to space people out. And the locker rooms are big enough that this could work out for them as well. Um, and like I said, it's good for these kids. Uh, there, we have a lot of draft eligible kids uh, on on these teams uh, that whose development this needs to to help as well. Uh, so a good effort by the QMJHL to not just sit there. They're the Canadian Major Junior League that started first, and they're pioneering uh, potential solutions and displaying that a ubiquitous solution uh for all the teams involved is not necessarily always the best sometimes regionalizing uh and and dealing with them accordingly uh will assist you in maintaining your league
2: and it's it's mostly a shot at trying to save their seasons right their their the entire season because like at which point can you have a, a couple teams not play for a month or even more um so yeah, I think it's really important that they they came up with a solution, and I think it, if they can make it work, it's it's gonna pioneer, like Marco said, uh, for for other leagues to follow.
1: Yeah, the 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 entire return to play. I mean, it's good that it's being done. Uh, you know, the amateur level, especially when it comes down to kids who are who are you know not even from this country and are here for their, it's their they want to make it their livelihood, right? They need this for the exposure for the for the development. You know, the youth development essentially, like Marco touched on. It's it's at the very least, you need something like this for them to, to accelerate, and or not accelerate, but um, uh, progress as a as a potential pro-athlete when they make it, because this is really, it could really hinder their growth huge in a, a huge way. A lot
3: of this is the owners of these QMJHL teams that have a need to see, you know, they have their own deals that they have to live up to in terms of uh, viewership. They just signed their new deal with TELUS for their, for, for, their, uh not tell sorry um, I believe it was Verizon in the United States in terms of diffusion rights uh, for the CHL as well so they gotta they gotta produce games as well to increase viewership and and, and get some subscriptions uh, but also I feel like as we said the responsibility is also to these kids um, whom are the backbone of this economic endeavor that is the QMJHL. so good on them for finding a solution. Uh, personally, I hope this works out because again, it seems like the QMHL has been the guinea pig for Canadian major Junior so far. Um, and you know, if this can allow the WHL or the OHL, uh, further options when they start again in 2021, that could work. That could be pretty awesome.
0: I think it's time to go to trades. Tr- 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 uh, so let's get right into it. Uh, we got quite a few trades and signings. Let's talk about Rupert. Uh, woof, woof, where did my list here go? Uh, <laughs> thank you thank you sir uh let's go into that and his three-year deal uh with the stars i'm gonna throw it over to you marco because you actually have the thing on screen and my screen just went blank it was my mind
3: i'm sorry uh, so yeah well i um, mean adam and i have been talking about Rupe for about a year or two now because i i convinced him to pick him up in his hockey pool when no one else would and i was like uh but I really like the value. AAV is excellent. $3.9 million is a, I can't swear, but effing steal. Uh, I really like the way that um, he progressed this season. I think three years is excellent for him as well. Um, you know, it, it, it really allows... Him and the rest of that team to kind of grow in together because it's it's a it's a team in transition. If you really look at this core, you got a, a few players that are in their thirties or later, like Ratilov, uh Jamie Ben, uh, and then you got a lot of elite young players. They're not elite, but like very good young players in Gurianov and Heinz. Miro Heiskanen is the crown jewel of that team. They've got Jake Ettinger coming up, Thomas Harley, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I feel like Heinz, at twenty three years old. Really fits that mold in my opinion, he really is right there. Um, one of the things though that I did notice is that this deal leaves him with one year of restricted free agency status left. This means that if he so wanted, he could take his qualifying offer a one year qualifying offer, which would be the, the the value of the last year of his contract um, and walk straight into free agency the year after so I like short term deals. I generally prefer the two year bridge after an entry level contract because then you have two more years of restricted free agency status to deal with. Um, but in the case of Heinz, uh, getting in three potentially allowed them to lower the average annual value to 3.9, which is excellent for his output. Uh, but I would have, a guy like Heinz, I would have potentially tried to go a little long term. Uh, we saw it last week when we were talking about Anthony Mantha going four years uh that is more my sweet spot 4 years out of an out of the the deal you get one unrestricted free agency year uh but you also get that 4 years as the player is arriving into his prime if anything does change in that time he could easily be moved so a risk potentially for Dallas but on paper this is a very very good value on the contract
2: very good deal in in terms of he was the second leading go- uh, goal scorer on the team with 19 goals. Uh, you give him a full season, he would have scored 20-plus. Um, I think, look, at 3.15, great cap hit for three years. The only downside is I think he's going to score more than 20 goals a season, so he he's potentially going to get a lot more once his uh,
1: three-year deal comes up. And not to mention, he showed up pretty pretty nicely in the playoffs as well for Dallas, you know? That was another element to his game that he, he brought. Um, question for you though, Marco, why not bring him up to that UFA? Why why would that what's the well, advantage there I with having been, leaving one year of RFA status from on either end?
3: I've only ever seen one player in recent memory, like in the last five years, threaten to do that, and that was Jacob Truba last year. That's what forced Winnipeg to trade Jacob Truba to the New York Rangers because he was gonna go to arbitration, take his one year deal I'm going to walk right into unrestricted free agency, no questions asked. And there was not a thing that the Jets could have done about it because that's his right as a restricted free agent. So to make things clear for folks, there is a rule to become an unrestricted free agent in hockey, in the NHL. You either have to pay, play seven, full, or seven seasons, um, 41 games or more. Um, in your first season that starts the clock, or you turn 27 years of age before July 1st. Those are the two things. So if you acquire one of those things, you are an unrestricted free agent if you have no contract on July 1st. Rupe Hines will be 26 at the end of this deal, which means that, like Truba last year, he can simply say, we're going to go to arbitration because he'll have that right by then. He he didn't have it now, but he will by then. Uh, And then, should he sour on his position with, with Dallas and they be incapable of finding ideal value for him? Rarely things that happen with players that are this good, might I add. Uh, but in the worst of eventualities, uh, Rupe Hines can just say, we're going to go to arbitration. I'll take the one-year deal, and then I'll go straight into free agency and bank, get you know a seven-year deal uh, for, for market value if he wanted to. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but it's risk. Also, what it does from a negotiation standpoint is he can say he's going to do that and therefore have higher leverage when it comes to contract negotiations on his next deal. So this is the danger with, with bridge contracts. This is the danger. Uh, for Montreal Canadiens fans that don't know exactly what I'm talking about, P.K. Sudan. he finished his entry-level deal. He wanted a long-term deal. The Canadiens signed him to a two-year bridge, and at the end of that bridge, he won in Or During that bridge, he won in Norris, which meant that he got a $90 million deal for eight years uh, on his next contract because they wanted to avoid arbitration and losing him for nothing. So it's the same concept. Um, And this is the game that restricted free agents are going to play because in three years from now, uh, we should, I repeat, should, knocking on all kinds of wood right now, should be done with this virus's fiscal effects on the league fiscal effects. Uh, and so the cap potentially will be rising at that point, and agents will go back to the notion of negotiating contracts based on the percentage of cap space. And so that is what these RFAs are banking on. Uh, it gives them leverage, it gives the team flexibility in the short term.
0: No, no, I think we, we should move on to the next one, right? At this point?
2: Yeah. yeah. The next signings, right, AJ? Yeah,
0: let's make it happen. Uh, Do you want to talk about Drysdale and his ELC, or do you want to talk Perfetti, or who are we talking?
2: Well, yeah, Anaheim signed their two first rounders, their ELC contracts, so uh, Jacob Perot and Jamie Drysdale.
3: So, uh, uh, one thing to take into consideration when stuff like this are happening, Um, I'd be pretty shocked if Jamie Drysdale makes the Ducks this year. Pretty shocked, not floored, but shocked. Jacob Perot, I would be absolutely shocked. Not because I think he's a bad player. I think he's got sky-high potential. I had him ranked, uh, I believe, 17th or 18th on my board. Um, But realistically speaking, he's not ready yet, so he'll probably go back to Sarnia. Um, Same thing with Cole Perfetti, unless he comes in and absolutely blows people away at at, at camp, which he more than likely could, uh, he should probably be going back to Saginaw. What that does... By, by signing your first-round picks today, even though they might make your team in one or two years, is that they get their signing bonuses today. And their contract slides for the season. This means that once they do make your team in a year or two, their cap hit actually reduces. So for those that don't understand what I mean, an entry-level contract in the NHL, when you're 18, 19, 20, being just drafted, is a maximum of $950,000. What generally happens is within that calculation, you have a $92,000 signing bonus. Uh, but if your contract slides, all you get paid is the signing bonus, not the contract. When you do officially start your NHL season, if you if your contract slid once, then your cap hit becomes $890,000. If your contract slides again, uh, then it becomes $860,000. So for anybody who's asking me, well, what do you mean? Go today, right now, as you're looking at this, or listening to this podcast, and go look up the contract of Nick Suzuki. Nick Suzuki signed his contract with Vegas a few weeks after being drafted in 2017, but only made the Montreal Canadiens in 2019-2020, which means two seasons of accrued uh, signing bonuses were never on the books, meaning that his actual cap was 860000 as opposed to the projected $925,000 uh, when he was initially signed. So this is why a lot of these teams are signing their first round picks more so than in past years, because they want to assure that when they do make the team, because the cap is flat, that they're actually going to save them, you know, $30,000, $60,000 each uh, on the cap, allowing them a little bit more flexibility for deadline moves or call-ups. So a thing to keep an eye on uh, over the next two or three months as we get closer to training camps.
2: So I guess it's pretty much the same for Perfetti with the Jets. Um, They also signed him to to his ELC contract. And the other, well, relatively big contract that was signed was Ryan Strom with the Rangers. So it was two-year, 4.5 million annual cap hit.
3: And he can thank Panarin. (laughs) That is is one player that I wasn't sold on. And the moment you put him with a dynamic winger. He's just very complimentary to that. So it really helps that the Rangers are going to be full of dynamic wingers. If not Panarin, then Kapokako. If not Kapokako, Alexi Lafreniard. If not Alexi Lafreniard, Vitaly Kraftsov So they should be set. He should, uh, if they can keep him long-term uh, with his Abinagad, also uh, as a first-line center, I think that that team at Ford is set. It's a good contract to make. Uh, and if they feel like they want to keep him, they can extend him as soon as next summer.
0: Sorry, just checking. Is that actually how you pronounce uh, his name? It's not Zabinijad, It's Zibinejad? He's,
3: uh, he's of Lebanese descent, so the Jays... Uh,
0: it's it's okay. So that Okay, like, hey, thank you, because I, I, Zibak- I was always concerned about that. So yeah, uh, Zibinejad was what we'll say from now on.
1: I guess he's never made that clear to the media, because uh, I've never heard that said well, once. If you,
3: if you, at, if you listen <laughs> to New York Rangers uh, play-by-play, they call him Zibinejad listen to Swedish hockey they call him Zabinayad. sorry Zabaniad I keep making the same mistake Zabaniad it's all good Zach Parise same concept Zach Parise demands to be called Zach Parisi because it's easier for Americans to call it Zach.
1: It's interesting, actually, because I, um, I was I was I uh, was reading an article about the NFL and and uh, some players like just have just admitted to the media members that it's not worth their time to explain how they pronounce their names because it can get confusing. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, I find that the that the, a
0: lot of announcers have really taken the time over the last five years to actually learn people's names so that, that but in the past has just been like, he, he's this guy, you know, an old timey <laughs> hockey voice.
3: And to, to be honest with you AJ like I remember when I sat down with uh, Pierre Oud, uh, who is the Canadians play-by-play for those that aren't aware uh, for RDS uh, the French an North absolute RDS. gentleman uh, oh absolutely absolutely he uh, <laughs> I remember I told him that I French because of him and he's like I did a really bad job and I was like what um, but um, obviously my French has improved since then greatly uh, and he was happy to hear but needless to say one of the told me was his biggest anxiety was making sure that he named the players correctly. So every time he would see a rookie on the opposing team, he'd always go up to them and ensure that he had their name pronunciation done right before the game started. I always respected that. I think that that's that's a a lost art amongst many, uh, especially like the big chain, like the MSNBC. Like they're not always on the ground. Sometimes it's even – like, they'll have one guy in between the boxes, but, like, the announcer at the top just necessarily meet with, with players. So, announcers that take the time to really do that, especially the complicated names. Like, can you imagine when Pierre Oud looked at the stat sheet the first time that Jasperi Kakeniemi was in Montreal and was like, okay, I'm going to take a stroll in that dressing room because there's no way. you know? Like,
1: it's really just half of Antinemi. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, at the beginning, <laughs>
3: even the Canadians didn't know how to... Like, they were just like, what?
1: Everyone
0: was down with KK. Everyone could be down with well, KK. So, it, it.
3: but Jesse Puliarvi, they had to, to to help people enunciate. They had to call him Pool Party. <laughs> it's the same concept, right? Like it's <laughs> well, it, it's fun to see that. Or, or, or actually, my favorite is Oliver Shillington. Even though the the name starts with a K K Y, it's Shillington because he's Swedish
0: the more you know. Uh, Speaking of which, let's uh, actually move to some other more you know uh, things. We have some odds and ends in the bag before we tag out for the show. So, first of all, uh, Joe Biden is currently the president elect in the United States. Uh, Still waiting to see how all that rolls out, but uh, funny connection to the hockey world. He's actually in the plane that the Sharks used to use. Uh, Somebody pulled this together and looked at the tail numbers, and they realized it was a paint job. So, uh, if you want, you can go check that out online. The old Sharks uh, paint job is on it, and then afterwards they repainted it with Biden and Harris's logo. All over it. So uh, go check that out there. Also, Ovechkin, to no one's surprise, uh, was talking a little bit about how he would want to end his career. He talked about how uh, he was looking to end with Dynamo Moscow. Don't think anybody was really surprised by this, right? <laughs> like this was, I mean just I guess it was a slow news week and people were just talking about it cuz uh, potentially I guess we we will see the retirement of Alex Ovechkin at some point in the next few years. Uh also we had Leafs prez uh, Shanahan come out and talking about how he would want to have less fighting in the game to prevent long-term injuries and I thought this was an interesting thing to bring up um especially cuz there's so many other aspects to the game that you know could help with long-term injuries like you know hitting um, body checks, things like that, things that have already been explored. I can always see Adam's head shaking like crazy. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Adam. What are your thoughts?
2: I mean, I don't know. I, he's, I don't know in what context he mentioned it, but maybe because his team doesn't
1: have much to. Here, to I'll, fight I'll pull the, the, the actual. Maybe that's here's why. the full quote. Yeah, so yeah. What are you talking about? Wayne Simmons. Yeah, okay, <clears throat> come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so
0: here, there's th- there three separate quotes on this, so I'll, I'll read the three quotes. So the first, quote, the way I think is not necessarily the way I played, And quote, uh, quote, people get pissed off at me when I say stuff like this, but I don't get excited to see a big hit. I get excited when I see a big goal, end quote. New quote, I don't want to see any of these young guys on the ice getting carried off, end quote. Uh, this was all from the Fighting and Hockey on the Smartless uh, podcast, so you can go check that out with uh, Brendan Shanahan. That's where he talked about hitting then.
1: Um, yeah, I... I'm not saying I'm. I, I kind of get that's such a safe PR <laughs> statement. Like, that's just so safe on his, like, so vanilla. I mean, these guys are playing at a professional level, they understand the risk. Uh, us as fans, uh, us who've played the game, we feel absolutely terrible whenever we see anyone carted off. Or you know, that's an extreme case when someone's carded off. Of course, anyone who's brought off the ice, but that's something these players know. And and to the um, to the point where he he mentioned uh, the what would like to see less fighting. Aren't we already? <laughs> aren't we already seeing less fighting and it's become more of a relative uh it's all relative now at this point it's like a circumstantial thing where if uh you know someone does lay a huge hit or a dirty play then you'll see a fight but you're never you're never gonna see you're hardly seeing puck drop fights anymore no i mean, I mean the
0: game has changed it's like a speed game as opposed to like that kind of old style rock of soccer hockey did you
3: see one this year with antoine roussel and then he immediately like was concussed that game after just coming back from an injury like it-
0: this this does ring a bell, but I, I'm not sure. Sh-
3: all I'm saying is it's going down by itself. I feel like at this point, if you look at the way that... And, and just all on, straight up banning it, uh, the way that we're having serious debates uh, at the major junior level to the point where we have to have votes on removing it entirely, I, I don't think this is going to be a big of an issue. Uh, also... The Leafs are constructed as a franchise. They're not made for hitting. Uh, they're not. They they've paid premiums so that they're not as malleable and easy to move around uh, in the form of you know uh, Jake Muzzin, uh You know, first round pick and two prospects to go and get. They went out and got um, you know leadership guys that can properly insulate their kids. I think the, the entirety of their structure is really to the performance and the skill of their elite talent, not the crash and bang uh, style that the NHL is used to. Now, whether or not that's resulted in them not winning a playoff series since 2004, I don't know. Uh, but that style definitely helps them win games in the regular season. So they're doing what they're doing, and they're, the, that young core is going to keep getting better. Uh, so it's just about proper insulation and a a good defensive court. So if they believe they've done that and they don't need to get into the physicality to gain an edge, then power to them.
0: So, uh, we're about to wrap up for the show, but before we do, I want to, uh, save the last two stories here, but I want to throw it over to Frankie, anything you want to promote, anything else you want to shout out to people, the show should be aware
1: Um, of. Nothing on tap right now. I did see, I think I was, uh, while I was reading this, uh, before the show went live, I was like, let's, let's have a shout out to that, uh, that video that was uh, circulating on Twitter about the humble Broncos. Right. But I saw that you, I saw that you have that. Written down, so That was yes. going to be the one point that I actually brought up. Yeah.
0: Oh, this is why we love you, Frankie. You have a heart of gold. And uh, so, yeah, we'll actually end off with that, But we're going to have one story left before that. First of all, we want to talk about uh, Bane Penninger, uh who, uh, who, excuse me, Bane Penager, who has long life ahead, uh, who came out uh, basically in an article publicly in The Athletic that was written by Pierre Lebrun. You can go check that out. It's a fascinating read. I'm not obviously interested in the player agent side of things, but uh, I think it was just a very interesting uh, feature piece that just really gave us an interesting insight into what that kind of pressure must feel like, especially in a world, an old world like hockey can be sometimes. So go check that out. But as uh, Frankie mentioned, Lonnie Maticek makes his amazing return to the ice. And uh, yeah, I had to talk about this because this was Something that we talked about, Frankie, when this happened years ago. Um, well, it feels like years ago because of what we has happened in our world. But uh yeah, so Kevin Medichak, who is uh Medichak, excuse me, uh who's the father of uh Lani he's been posting videos on social media keeping us abreast of uh Lainey's progress and this week he finally hit the ice again, and honestly, the video—it's so wonderful. I am a terrible skater. I'm a terrible hockey player. I am the world's worst hockey player. Period. Um, so, but even just seeing somebody get back on the ice like that—it was just so inspiring. And especially after such a devastating, horrifying crash that killed 16 young people, uh, 13 more injured, including a liney. And you know, it was just—it's just wonderful to see him um, back on on the ice like this.
3: I agree. I, I mean that this is what sports stories are told, right? I mean you look at them kind of rising above any form of adversity. Uh I would say this is the highest form of adversity in, in in my honest opinion. Uh so to to see someone go back to doing at least something that they love, not necessarily something that they were born to do, but just something that they they really like um I think it's comforting for anybody watching because it's, it's inspirational. So I'm really happy power to him. Uh, I hope that he can continue to, to, to play and, and just enjoy the game. And like I said, you know, the, the survivors of the crash, they may not realize it, but they now represent symbols for this country in terms of, being able to rise above what seems like insurmountable odds,
1: and and for something that was such a, a devastating, it was devastating news, and it was it was not only devastating to the hockey community to hear of a story like this, but it was that. De- more than more than anything, it was devastating to that community, right? Who watched uh, that team and those the the parents and, and the relatives, and it might might sound silly to say and and but this video, this just one, what is it, thirty seconds, twenty second video of, of uh, this young man skating around again after rehabbing for a few years now, is like a bright spot for for this community and all the people who were affected by it. For
0: sure. Yeah, I 100 agree with you, Frank. I don't think it's silly to say at all. I think it's uh, I think it's beautiful watching it. Like it's less than 20 seconds long, and you hear that familiar sound of like skates on ice, puck being moved, and like you know the stick just on the ice. It's just it's such a familiar sound to millions of Canadians around the world, not even just in our country, but and also it's just the hockey community as a whole, and it's just. To see something like this happen, it makes us feel proud about it. Like, it goes way beyond hashtag like um, Humboldt strong or something like that. Just to see something come like this, it's so inspirational. So more power to you, Mr. Matichuk. We wish you the speediest and the best of recoveries. And we hope to see you uh, whatever ice. We will be very excited to see you on. All right, that's it for the Hockey Flow this week. I really appreciate um, Frankie Pavan, and of course, you can find all of his great stuff on Twitter, Frank underscore Pavan, that's spelled P-A-V-A-N, so go check them out, give him a follow on Twitter, he's a good guy, and uh, you should also watch out for all of the good stuff he's going to be bringing to the world with WatchMojo's podcast wing. And of course, you can always follow um, Adam and Marco on Twitter, they're also available and awesome, so check out Adam at ReallyAdamB, and of course, Marco D'Amico can be on at ScrimmageAndStats.com, and of course, at The Hockey Expert on Twitter. I'm AJ Cordero. We'll catch you guys next week.